I'm John Perry. I'm Ted Cupper. And this is Constellation, making the graphic novel. Join us as we build an original science fiction world. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Constellation podcast. Ted, how are you? I am okay. How are you doing, John? I'm good. And uh, we have a bit of a theme for today, uh, which is work, right? Yeah, we're talking about work Uh, today. So we're going to do kind of a media club, except we're talking about a blog post rather than a a film or anything like that. Um, uh, And that's work related. And then we're going to discuss work in our Constellation universe and how how that plays out. but as usual, we'll start with the, the media club stuff. So, so, Ted, you identified some articles uh, that we thought might be fun to talk about a little bit. Do you want to set that up for us? Yeah, sure. So over at Overcoming Bias, which is the blog of Robin Hansen, our uh, friend and uh, occasional guest of the show. Um, we reference a lot, I know. But, yeah, uh, uh, you know, a guy I read a lot and who, uh, I, you know, uh, though I don't always agree with him, I find uh, he's really uh, intellectually rigorous and, and worth reading. And one of the things that he's been talking about in the last month or so, starting with this post, Remote Work Specializes on August 8th, uh, is the idea that remote work, in his opinion, is more likely to come uh, in a big way in the next 30 years than other things that future-oriented folk talk about. So AGI or biotech, uh, et cetera, et cetera. He thinks it's unlikely. I'm not sure that I'm totally convinced that he's right, but um, one thing I think he is right about is that remote work is clearly more likely than those other things and is going to happen uh, first, if not um, only. Well, he thinks the impact of it is is currently underrated relative right. to uh, things. Some of the things you mentioned, but even just things like self driving cars. Well, and he has a, a follow up um, discussion called "Remote Work is Teleportation Light." A uh, like, uh, later post that came out on September fifth, where he basically argues that, I mean, like the <laughs> like this headline says, that a lot of the economic effects that you would expect from teleportation can come about with just remote work. Um, robotics, basically, like simple robotic uh, uh, peripherals that people can use to remotely do various tasks um, could bring a lot of the same effects as like true teleportation, because instead of bringing the car to the factory, you essentially can bring the factory and all of the factory's workers to the car, right? You could have like a robot in your garage that uh, a mechanic in India can dial into and um, change your oil, and then somebody else who uh, specializes in brake lines can fix your brake line using the same um, piece of equipment. Uh, that's the basic premise of that post, and that got me just thinking in just more general terms, and this is why I wanted to bring this up and maybe share with our listeners too, of just this is an interesting premise for a sci-fi that I don't think I've seen, which is just what is a world... Um, in which virtually all work is, or all work that could plausibly be uh, made remote is made remote. Um, there's that one movie, Surrogates, right? Where everybody mm-hmm. sort of wears robots. I forget what the hand wave is, why they all do it. Um, might have been like a disease or something. I don't know. There's some reason why everybody like has a robot copy of themselves and uh, lives uh, through that. Uh, and then that, that story ends up being about something sort of silly. Um, but there's very little out there that really deals with 
what happens when, you know, what are the social consequences of remote work? Because so much of our architecture, our built society is, is revolves around getting people into an office and getting them home again, putting their kids in school so that they can go to their job, putting their, um, you know, decides deciding where to live and how transit networks work and all this other stuff. And that could all get seriously upended, you know, much earlier than say, uh, under a scenario where, uh, we're using, um, teleportation or, or really, really good, um, you know, uh, sensory brain commute, brain computer interfaces. I mean, one thing he does talk about in one of these comments is, uh, Neuralink, the, uh, the Elon Musk thing, uh, brain computer interface that's been announced. And he's like, he thinks it's going to be far more than 30 years before you have enough wires and enough good places to really use that for immersive, serious work. But, you know, we should be able to use audio visual and fast networking and peripherals to get a lot of the, um, the benefits of, uh, like basically what happens in a city, um, right? Like, the argument that he's making is that in a city work specializes and that's what makes things cheaper and better in cities. And certainly that's part of it. Uh, I don't know if it's all of it, but it's part of it for sure. And that would just explode under, um, a world where we had, you know, a lot of, uh, well-adopted, uh, remote work technology. Yeah. I, that was like, and I guess maybe this is obvious, but we should say, I mean, part of the reason Hansen is interested in this topic is, is obviously what's going on in the world right now is like, I've been a big kick in the ass for developing these remote work technologies, or right? For, uh, because deploying them, right? A, a lot of the ones that have been developed over the last 10 years were sort of sitting on the shelf and then all of a sudden yeah. they're getting used. Yeah. Yeah. And, and obviously people have like theorized this in the past, right? Like, you know, that all, all work will be, you know, to you know, telecommuting or whatever. But uh, yeah, now that feels more, it feels closer because it's happening more often out of necessity and, and the technologies, uh, yeah, like you said, are being brought off the shelf. Um, and, and yeah, I think what is his, somewhere in this first article, I mean, he talks about, I mean, he still thinks we're maybe 30 years off from like some of the like really, at least I think like from like having these kind of, uh, remote avatar robots say, you know, that lets you, um, get your plumbing done by, you know, a, a plumber in another country who's like specializes in just that part of the plumbing process. I mean, I think that actually that thought experiment he gives kind of helps like show like how far this could go, right? Like where, cause I think he even talks about how you've got a plumbing problem and it's not even just that you contract some plumber to pilot an avatar who's not anywhere near you geographically. Right. It's that maybe you contract a whole team of them who sub in and out at different <laughs> points in the task right. to do the things and that they're best And don't even necessarily at. know each other, right? Like a person who is, uh, you know, expert in copper piping might be completely different from a person who's expert in fittings and, you know, uh, faucets or something. They might just be totally separate. And this would also allow the job of plumbing to get more specialized over time too, right? So you wouldn't just, um, like right now, plumbing as a profession is limited by the fact that it is done by human plumbers who have to be able to basically do all of it. So uh, the market reacts to that and the kinds of products that work uh, uh, and are available are the ones that plumbers can use. But since now you can have 
15 different kinds of plumbers on any given job, you can also start to specialize the individual tasks and the products that are used for them more and more and more. Um, so it should, like he says, it should create a lot of um, conformity across the world, but then a lot of specialization from task to task, which should make things cheaper and better and more similar kind of everywhere. Yeah, yeah. So let let's game this out. I mean, he makes certain assumptions, and and obviously, like we might think about it a little differently than he does because uh, he's more of an economist, obviously, than we are. Right. But um, I mean, for he's really focused. I from what I read, um, on you know the efficiency gains, um, that you get from specializing, you know, right. being being spread out so much further across the world. And I I think that it's hard to argue with that if if this comes to pass, like he's describing, um. But I guess maybe just like from like a ground level, right? Like if you're living in this future where remote work has advanced this far and these, again, it really does require good avatar robots, especially to handle something as complex as plumbing. I think that's definitely a ways off. Um, I mean, there's many, many steps before that. Point, right. 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 And really uh, low latency networks, um, as well as, you know, good feedback of some kind uh, coming back to the person, uh, because a lot of. A lot of tasks that are we're talking about, you know, here, like plumbing type tasks, are, have a very physical component to them. That's right. Yeah. So the, all the yeah, we're sort of hand waving away the fact that all of that is difficult and will take time to develop like the best versions of. Um, if we just assume the endpoint here, you know, a person in this world maybe is very hyper specialized in, like we said, maybe some tiny part of the plumbing process, right? That they do. For people around the world, maybe it's not around the world because he does mention, you know, time zones are still a limitation, right? So maybe um, I cover like two or three time zones, right? And I, you know, it's like one of these, uh, you know, rideshare apps where like, you know, a new plumbing job pops up on my screen, right? And says like, there's one over here, right? Right, you know? right. And, and then I go like, like jump over to that window and that suddenly gives me like, uh, or maybe I have a headset or something that, and suddenly I'm like looking through the eyes of an avatar inside someone's bathroom, right? you know, and figuring out like, okay, what, what do I need to do in this plumbing situation? But I've, but I've been in this particular situation thousands of times cause that's what I specialize in. So, you know, I can, I can deal with it pretty quickly. Right. Um, I think that's the kind of, kind of vision I don't like, I mean, you know, obviously there's, there's things about that world that don't sound appealing i think on the face of it right like well, the right. idea that yeah i mean especially the idea that you would be subjected to these kind of market making algorithm things that you know are the things that run stuff like uber and lyft in our world um because those they would relentlessly try to get you know be a race to the bottom they would try to get the cheapest price for their labor they would probably gamify the whole labor obtaining system to make it unclear to you when you're actually going to earn more money for more work so that you're just always working more. Um, and depending on what kind of competition and regulation are they're subject to, they could be uh, very powerful and draconian. You know, they could do things where if you go against them at all, you can't work. Um you know, there's there there's a potential there for some middlemen to come in and really be quite powerful and quite uh, bad for labor. I mean, one thing that he does say in this is that it would be a more equal world, but I think 
what he means by that is, you know, the rich countries would be more on a par with the poor countries. So if you live in a rich country right now, um, the chances that you would see downward pressure on your wages in this world, I think, are fairly high. I mean, it is an intense globalization scenario, right? right yeah. Exactly. I mean, so all the things that we've seen with outsourcing and stuff, you know, I, I guess he sort of seems to assume. I mean, or, or I guess you know the the big X factor here, right, is like what kind of global coordination and global regulation actually happens that facilitates doing like having a global workforce that operates this way, right? You know, and to what extent are there, you know, labor laws that, uh, you know, prevent this kind of work, right? You know, and, and, you know, because again, yeah, this isn't going to be very pleasant per se. I mean, I've never driven Uber or Lyft, but it doesn't seem like just having well, the computer but, constantly mean, you... feed you your next like repetitive task to do uh, and, and maybe and having that be your, your whole work day. Um, and then, yeah, like you said, the downward pressure on wages from competing with the whole world's labor force. It just seems like there's going to be pushback against that on many levels. <laughs> right, right. Well, so those things don't seem so good. But then on the other hand, like working as a mechanic in a garage where it's hot and you get oil on you and true, uh, it's dangerous versus working as a mechanic inside like a large video game peripheral that makes you feel as if you're under a car, but you're actually just operating a robot that's under a car. Um, and it's in your house so that you can, you know, go take care of your kids or walk your dog if you need to. Um, that actually strikes me as obviously better. <laughs> so, and you can live wherever you want, exactly. right? Like so you, you can, can live, live out more cheaply potentially, although this would also have, I think, major knock on effects to land value, right? I mean, the value of land outside of cities would probably go way up, um, relative to city land because, uh, you would no longer have, the agglomeration effects of cities tied to their physical location for as many people. I mean, already now there's some amount of this, right? If you do true knowledge work, you can, you know, a lot of these like science fiction authors that we like, they live out in the middle of nowhere in Canada or something. And they, you know, they send their books in and they get published. They do some tours and some cons and stuff like that. And they can live wherever they want. Um, you know, I think that starts to be true for more and more people in this world. So, you, it's it's an interesting. I don't know. I think you could build out a whole world on on this idea. We don't have to spend any more time on it, but that's why I wanted to bring it up. I I thought it was like, just like, I'd like to see a sci-fi that takes seriously all of the cultural responses that would happen, um, if basically most blue collar as well as most white collar work was done remotely through you know a combination of fast networks and good enough robotics yeah i wonder like you know once people don't have to uh live in cities uh for economic reasons so much um you know they still maybe want to live there for social or aesthetic reasons sure so i'm not sure where that equilibrium ends up but you're right it does seem like it would have more people living in 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 like a wider range of places in general and it would facilitate moving more often which is something he mentions which you know that could be a benefit in a in a you know a world affected by climate change <laughs> to be able to you know right. uproot yourself and move and still have like continuity with work <laughs> that may become necessary right 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 go to canada during the summer and then you know, move south during the winter or something like that. Um, uh, yeah, that that makes sense. I, I think that, uh, I don't know, I think it's a pretty interesting idea. 
I don't want to stop doing what we're doing, but at some point, I think I might spend some time thinking about this world. Uh, well, let's 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 pick up on that just a little bit, right? Because okay. like you know, I I read these articles, or I read I didn't catch all of them, but you mm-hmm. know, we both follow this blog, and I thought they were interesting, and and obviously he's talking about our world right he's like he's always trying to project what he actually thinks is going to happen in the actual future right um that's sort of his his specialty and it, it all seems pretty plausible to me the kinds of things he's talking about and interesting and relevant but i you're talking about more like oh if we just like push this to the max right now is there a good sci-fi story here i think maybe I'm wondering about that, right? Like, uh, and I don't know if you want to maybe explore that mm-hmm. some other time, but you know, what if we were just pitching a movie today where we just assume, you know, teleportation exists, right? right? In fact, uh, did you ever read that book, uh, that Alfred Bester book, Stars My Destination? I sure did. And they are, in fact, developing that uh, as like a, I think it's a TV show or maybe it's a movie, I forget. Because I, because John, I know there's like this teleportation technology called jaunting or yeah. something. I, you just it, think it, real hard. <laughs> it's been too long since I've read that. I don't remember like uh, if that's a widely available technology in that yeah, book. Yeah, it's invent. It like- it's not a technology. It's like a meditative practice. It's invented by this one guy who's sort of legendary, and then uh, people learn to do it. Um, right, but, but that's almost like, like a martial art or something. You like, you know, it's you learn to do it, and then you can just do it. It's not like a technology you take with you. Right, and they didn't like. I don't think that book deals with these like broader societal consequences of remote work. Obviously, no, right? well it uses it to enable space travel, you know, uh, which is one thing that you would do if you had real teleportation that, uh, that remote work does not, bring, that wouldn't apply here. Okay. Right. So, I mean, I think in it, that's a great book. I love that Alfred Bester book, but it's, it's more about, um, you know, what if we had space travel and the reason it wasn't implausible is because we had teleportation instead of, um, you know, uh, faster than light spaceships. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So I, I just, that book popped into my head, but it's been too many years since I've read it. So like the refresher is helpful. But yeah. so, okay. So yeah. you could do a story that just assumed these really good robot avatars, or you could do a more fantastical one that said like, we just have teleportation, but it's localized, right? You can't like teleport. You have teleportation space. like within earth or earth and the moon or something like yeah. that. Yeah. In order, in order to explore these, these societal consequences. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you could do either one. It's just whether you like the visuals of teleportation. I mean, I think with teleportation, not to cut you off, but I do think you get, you get mired in the, um, the consciousness continuity question. Whereas with the remote, Robot. Like when there's, you teleport, do you die and like yes. respawn? And then there, so many teleportation stories are about you come back and there's another one of you and am I a clone and you know and all that business. And so uh, if you if you want to avoid the am I a clone moment, you might go with the the robot avatar in you know which is less spectacular, but um, uh, but uh, maybe is less of a can of worms. <laughs> so if you have the robot avatar version, yeah. I mean, do you have a sense of what, like, kind of story would be good in that world? Because it doesn't, it's not obvious to me. I mean, I do think it's like an, it's it's a nice clean premise. But... Well, since it's a work story, where my mind goes is it wants to be a story about upstairs, downstairs, about haves and have-nots, you know? Like, right. what's the difference in experience for someone who is a drain-fitting expert engaged in a brutal race to the bottom that honestly, I think is going to pretty soon end in him being replaced by 
the peripheral itself once it gets smart enough, right? I mean, this is not a world in which computing innovation has stopped. It's just a world in which it's mm-hmm. not reached AGI l- yet, but it's still more than now. So, you know, somewhere between now and AGI, there's a robot that can do drain fitting, right? Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I think you're uh, you're a little bit like you're in the position that Dan is in and let go before the short story starts where he's you're training your your replacement you know whether you know it or not um and at the same time you're competing with all the other drain fitting experts in the entire seven plus billion person globe um which means your your wages are pretty low uh but the the work is pretty comfortable you can work as much as you want basically because you can find clients all over the world um, and so I mean, yeah, and you have lots of cheap services, like you know, you yep. can get your hair cut by the best haircutter and massage from the best, you know, masseuse, and like all that's pretty cheap, right? Right. Like, for the same reason, your wages are low. Right, right. Right. So all your services have gone down. Many of your goods and products have probably come down at least a little bit because you know, uh, somebody in the comments does mention that like we have slow teleportation now right because that's what container ships are like if you if if time is not the factor um it's already pretty costless to send things around on container ships so uh because of that uh we have some of the effects of of like being able to teleport goods now um but not the ones that require speed um and and coordinated speed so this would just, uh, you know, this would accelerate that too. So some things would be, uh, you know, if there were good robots that could mine, right? I mean, we've talked about, mm-hmm. uh, you know, automated mining in the past, but if there are good peripheral um, avatar robots that could mine, then, you know, things that are made from those minerals that are being mined, you know, lithium batteries or whatever, would get cheaper. Um and people could do that work before from, safer from wherever they right from the safety of their homes from wherever they are they probably would get a huge pay cut but it would be a much less terrible job <laughs> right like i mean you'd you would assume that part of that premium that you get for being a minor which is because it's horrible and you might die would go away when um the horribleness is on a screen and the chances of dying are low um or I guess zero from the actual mine. I mean, you know, you could get hit by a bus or something. But um, so I don't know. I, I think that makes sense. Uh, he does mention drivers. I have to say I'm a little skeptical that tele-driving is going to happen before artificial driving, um, given or that it, or that tele-driving will be better uh, than artificial driving at any point in time. I think that's already not true now. So that just doesn't make sense to me that that's going to become true in the future. Um, I don't, I just don't, by that that drivers will ever be uh humans on a i think it's either going to be a person driving the vehicle or the vehicle driving the vehicle i just don't i don't Hmm. um Hmm. and the fact that the uh, failure mode for the communication getting cut um is much worse (laughs) in a teledriving scenario than in a uh, truly autonomous driving scenario makes me think again um that's probably unlikely i think of all the things he suggests that that one i said i don't think so (laughs) but uh like you know maybe the next 30 years do not include 
uh, self-driving cars coming to market. I don't know whether they will or not, but I think it's fairly certain that if that's the case, then then human beings are still driving cars inside the cars. One last thing I'll mention about this, which I thought was cool, is uh, somebody mentioned in the comments, which I thought was right, is that if this were to happen, it would potentially open people's minds uh, to like sort of be a gateway drug, if you will, to M's, to emulated brains. Because mm-hmm. there's not that much difference between having a coworker who you only see on an iPad screen or through uh, you know piloting a robot um, and having a coworker who is entirely simulated um well hansen also talks about himself that like this having this infrastructure in place it's like you know just add m's right like right as soon as you have them they can pilot the robots and yes yeah exactly that's right they like you don't need to like go through the extra step of like we get m's first and now we have to build bodies for them right right like like that you can you can skip that step if the bodies are already like there and they just need a need a mind put inside them right right Uh, that's true Let's talk about work in our world. Yeah, work in the constellation, which is uh, which is going to be really different from from both what we were just talking about and from from our own world in general and from other things that we've talked about. Um, so, because we we kind of discussed maybe using as a framework um, a previous article that we had on our blog that also became a. Uh, episode of Review the Future, our previous podcast. Right. This is just an attempt to use some of our previous research because we did the sort of thought experiment of what stays scarce in a increasingly abundant world. Right. And we were operating under a totally different set of assumptions because we were imagining not a simulated world, but just this the regular world yeah. with, you know, your most advanced you know, Kurzweilian technologies in full effect, right? You've right. got your, you've got your AGI, you've got your nanotech, um, your like biotech. Most, yeah. Yeah. You've got robots that can do most service jobs and you've got, um, you know, the ability to like, you know, assemble, you know, at an atomic scale, like whatever materials you need, you know, you know, your, your super 3d printing scenario. Right. Right. Um, so, we were sort of taking that as the premise and saying, well, okay, let's just for fun thought experiment purposes, assume that all those technologies are with us. Do we still have an economy, right? <laughs> like are people still working um, or not? Right. Um, and we decided like there are a bunch of scarcities, a bunch of things that still exist, even in what sounds like a super abundant world. Um, and so we're going to go through the, that list now. Obviously, all this changes in the constellation where the rules are slightly different. Right. Um, Some of these don't really apply, actually. But I think it's a good place to start. Um, and then there are a couple of things that might sort of emerge. But we'll, we can deal with that later. So let's let's should we just start going through them? Yeah, that's right. And I, I yeah, and I so look, the first uh, scarcity. And again, like everything about here, uh, the whole point of this framework is to like. You know what is scarce because that's where that's where the value is, right? That's where maybe a job is is possibly exists. Right, right. And We're thinking that's where you could have a job that's that's going to actually extract some kind of money or money type value because, of course, people are doing things in the constellation, but we're not considering them work, even if it's like baking or something. If it's not for money, right? I mean, anything that you're doing just for fun. Oh yeah, I guess we should say that, right? Like, yeah, because it really that's, work. Yeah, we're defining work as as work for yeah for money. <laughs> yeah. Because you or might for... like go to a world that has a little in world economy, and like the game of the world is like to pretend you know to be something and 
you might trade money with people and so but that i don't think that that counts i think the kind of work we're talking about is the kind of work our main characters and hobbies don't count those are hobbies those are basically hobbies right exactly any yeah most of what people are doing is hobbies in this world because hobbies are costless right so it has to be scarce because you have to be able to extract a price for it and maybe that's money or maybe that's some other compensation right um so our first category is scarcities of time and number one on the list is attention. Right. And obviously, in our world, this is a scarce thing because, you know, you can only pay attention to one thing at a time. Exactly. This is a fundamental this has been dis- scarcity. Yeah. And this gets actually discussed a lot these days, this whole idea of an attention economy. So this is obviously very relevant even in today's world. Yep. Um, it's also relevant in the constellation, right? Because we're not, you can't, uh, you can't clone yourself. Right. Uh, you can't, right? Right. right. You still that can is only exactly pay- what would would sort of uh, attenuate this but but yeah we we're not allowing that so there's a fundamental scarcity of each moment of the uh constellation's existence each individual consciousness can only be experiencing one thing in one world at that exact you know differentiated moment um so you have to choose where to pay your attention and if you crave attention uh which obviously many uh people it's a natural inborn sort of a thing, uh, then you might pay someone for their attention. Well, the mo- most pure version of this is advertising. So maybe sure. we should just say, like, do we expect there to be advertising in the constellation? I expect there uh, to be advertising. Yeah, I, I definitely do. Paid for advertising. Yeah. So, I mean, right? Because to advertise yeah. worlds, to advertise to in order to you know get people to to go to them, to advertise various services, perhaps. Right, and we, we think of advertising as usually, I mean, it it can be expensive, so usually people only do it if they have a, a product to sell and expect to make money on the advertising. But, of course, you can advertise anything that you just want to get the word out about. Right. Um, well, and, and, and if your product is sort of yourself or some persona, then you might be just advertising with the express goal of getting the attention, and that is the goal. And you're not trying to directly turn that back into money. Um, maybe you think that there's some way to turn that into money on the back end, you know, by having a popular world where people can go meet you or something. But um, but you don't. That's not the. That's not necessarily even doesn't have to be the goal. So one possible job is basically being a spammer, right? Because like we talked about this last episode, right? In the like. For religious evangelism, sure, uh, you can kind of like since again all worlds default to listed, uh, you can just sort of start cold calling people and popping into their home worlds, and or just popping into more populated worlds, which might be maybe a better target even, mm-hmm. and uh, you know just trying to to spread the message. But instead of a religious message, it's it's a product or brand message or something, anything really, or any message. Yeah, um, it could be religious, could be yeah, it could be anything. Yeah. But that's such like a tedious task. I mean, you I, you could see people being compensated to do that. Right. Um, and they would also, of course, try to program bots to do it for them, too. So you could, right, if you'd show up in a world that wasn't well-protected or well-moderated and, a, you know, an AI would show up and spew a sp- sales pitch at you, you know, before you told it to go Yeah, away. I think that's like, so that then you need... I think that'll be exist too, and that's different, right? Because right. now you start needing the consent of the of the world administrator, 
Potentially, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or at least not their active, uh, <laughs> like, ire. <laughs> but, like, let's say the maker world that, uh, like, our main character probably resides in. Mm-hmm. Right where you know he gets he gets help and and mutual support you know for like the craft of of building art worlds right mm-hmm. um and access to a library and all that I mean you could see that that you know someone sees that that sort of maker world and gets in touch with the administrator and is like you know you've got a lot of people spend a lot of time here you want to you know carry our uh, our brand advertising robots you know right. like you know uh, we'll we'll set it up for you right we'll we'll code it for you right we'll come in and and give the exec instructions um and that could totally be a thing right i don't see sure. any it. yeah so so like certainly like marketing w- isn't going anywhere basically it's just going to get more obnoxious yeah, yeah. so yeah and uh, all this stuff i think requires a to be set up right so again it's somehow you know i i don't know that it would be as mature as it is in our world again it depends how long how much time has passed right but right. there's definitely going to be advertising should we move on to the next one yeah i was thinking of a before we move on to the next heading i was thinking of a couple of other like people who are basically professional attention payers you know like that's pretty mm. much what they do and i was thinking like um like a therapist or something like that is a kind mm. of classic example of a professional attention payer. Somebody who is essentially the same as a friend, but you're paying them uh, in order to sort of separate them from your friends and make it so that you don't owe them the normal things that you owe a friend, you know? Um, and uh, Right, okay, yeah. A, a coach, um, like, you know, a coach for a, a sport or a game, but also a coach for any, you know, pursuit. Um some kind of advisor, like, you know, in our world, we have investment advisors, people who sort of like watch your money for you and tell you where they think you should put it. Uh, I don't think that doesn't feel like it exists yet at this scale. Uh, but I feel like advisors on, on constellation related things, like people who research all the worlds and tell you where to live or tell you what to do, like, yeah, help help you find, um, like, uh, 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 goals because part of what you need in this sort of endless life that you have in this is uh, short-term goals so for you know 10 years I'm going to go live on this world and learn about this and experience this and then I'm you know or I'm going to split my time between these five things or whatever it is uh, so people whose job it is to kind of like learn your history listen to you bitch listen to you you know tell them you're your your preferences and then help you come up with a plan. I feel like that's the kind of thing that people would potentially still be willing to pay for. Now, as you were saying that, I was starting to realize the limitations of us trying to apply this framework as it's written here in front of me. Because, again, our baked-in assumptions when we wrote this article and did this podcast back in the day was we weren't like placing a lot of value on information as a scarcity because you know information in a in a digital realm um, can be copied and distributed so freely right. right it tends it tends to it tends to get out there right uh, I, I the constellation because of our right we limit created on, a new scarcity here this is yeah I had this uh, in my notes too so yeah so like there's a lot more information scarcities because we don't have interworld communication right I so think. specifically interworld knowledge or interworld it, uh, information is the word you're using. That's fine. Um, is is a scarcity in this world 
Um, so that militates I feel like toward a number of things. One of which being, I think, teachers being a big um, job, actually. Because well, I, I, oh, go ahead. Sorry, I just the reason I was bringing this up now is because when you were talking about attention, some of the things you were describing as attention jobs felt like information jobs to me. Like the advisors and stuff. It, it, it's sort of like it's a at the close it's both. It's bo- yeah, it's both yeah. things. And I mean, uh, the, the the they're kind. Uh, they're a kind of teacher. They're somebody who does research and gives you results. But um, a personal advisor also listens to you and sort of personalizes your program. So I think there's some of that attention in there as well. But yeah, you're right. They're both. And like not, I was using these to sort of generate the ideas for jobs. But I think all of the jobs actually end up interfacing with more than one scarcity, which is you know. Just sort of not that surprising, actually. Yeah, they, these aren't perfect categories, obviously. Um, they're more or less like ways for... I was just using this to backwards say, well, well, what are things that operate with that scarcity? What are, you know? But yeah, I definitely think knowledge is part of it. We can go over that now or we can wait till later. Yeah, let's you? just riff on that now since we brought it up. You were saying Okay, about so one thing that would happen is teachers, all right? So um, obviously books from the world, uh, from the world before scanning, can be conjured anywhere. So there's no scarcity of that knowledge. Um but new knowledge, any knowledge that's been produced in the constellation, of which there'd be a lot, uh, cannot be easily conjured. It has to be sought. So you have to go to where it is in some way. Um, and that would make teachers really valuable uh, who had sought some of that knowledge and knew it well enough to collect it um, either on their home world or on like a university world or something. And then could teach it to others. You know, you would be willing to go to some other place to learn from somebody who knew. And I was thinking it would also affect what was taught because uh, you'd probably have, you know, less need for calculus teachers, uh, which you could probably conjure a decent calculus teacher out of an AI and all the textbooks that existed in the world before. Um, And you'd have a lot more need for people who are teaching the new skill sets, the skill sets that have arised in arisen sorry in the uh constellation so um you know kit bashing um executive functions um you know things that uh you know world building etc these are the kinds of things where i think you would have the most yeah how do you get the exec to do what you need is i think just such a fundamental question and would have many sub behind every craft too right like not you know exec functions regarding this subfield is like you know this guy's an expert on it he spent 20 years just asking every question he could think of or find uh you know in that subfield and he has this model of how it works or whatever i mean the teachers would be you know they'd be academics they'd be developing models and trying to figure out you know how things work and then to to show it to and i think there'd be quite a lot of just like university worlds actually because i think a lot of people uh freed from the maslow's hierarchy of needs stuff would you know want to spend their time just basically pursuing knowledge so there would be these knowledge worlds where people would pursue uh knowledge and 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 have it all available and people would go to them to try to learn well, in the maker world that we've been referring to, mm-hmm. that yeah, our main exactly. it, it, it is essentially a university, right? With a, oh, that's with definitely a, an example, yeah, yeah. with, with a sure. specialization, right? It's basically yep. an art school, right? Yep, yep. Um, so, so yeah, I think all of that makes a ton of sense with things we've talked about. Um, do you think people are paying 
to have access to these worlds where you know knowledge is accumulated or well i, mean, I they think might the be. knowledge is scarce so i think the possibility that they're paying is there now i understand that culturally you could have a um knowledge should be free sort of feeling and mm. because i uh, see i don't know because of the lack of physical constraints you could have at least some free universities that um you know let anyone in and um are designed to just be the biggest repository of information they can possibly be uh, i would think that those places would be inherently more self-serving uh, not self-serving but self-serve you know like uh they would be more it would and I, this is honestly true in our world today to a you know to a much more small degree but like in a larger institution, the student has more put on them to seek out and learn what they wish to learn versus in a smaller institution, it's more guided. There's more advisory. They are checking in more with you as a student and uh, trying to decide what you need and sort of convince you of that um, more aggressively. So I would think there would be a difference in culture between a free university and a paid one. Um, but I don't think, but it would be not that different from the difference between a large university and a small one today, I think. It would be like, you know, the amount of information available at the big university might be greater and the amount of direction at the small university might be, might be greater. But one thing that's interesting is like, I think silos of information would be more common because information is less leaky. Yep. Because again, you can't just make copies and bring them from world to world. No. So I think you have it's a little bit more like an older time period, right? Where you know, if you've got two continents across an ocean from each other, you know, stuff spreads between them, but at a much slower pace. Yes, uh, and with, and with, and imperfectly because it's like people memorizing things or telling each other things or, you know. Uh, painstakingly jumping back and forth and copying things down and stuff like that. I think having a good memory is like obviously a hugely uh, a good trait to have if you want to be employable. I right, think. right. In and this. training your memory is probably a big like sort of, you know, source of snake oil and and possibly of actual knowledge as well. Because I would think that your, you know, your memory works the way a human memory works now. So it's not like you have a computer in your head that you can put search terms into or anything like that. But because you're running on such a solid substrate, you wouldn't have any of the deterioration that your bio brain has. Um, or at least you would have the ability to sort of finally control that stuff. And you could potentially, you know, get near the top of human memory uh, performance. Um by sort of, you know, screwing around with your own settings. Well, the alternative to just developing your memory uh, and or being blessed with it, have to having a good one in the first place mm -hmm. uh, is transcription where you're teleporting back and forth. Right. Uh, we know there's some delay, but it's like kind of minor. Uh, right, right. We know that like you've got to navigate contracts, so you have to have like permission uh, it has to be a scenario where, like, like if if there is a like a, a university had a library, right? Uh, that they wanted to keep 
the information in private they might not allow you to just like rapidly teleport in and out of it right that may that sort of like uh functionality may be turned off if you want to like eject from that world you have to step outside the library right to make that a little harder so right or that could be a tier they charge for Right. So there would be things that would would get in the way. But I think, you know, there would be probably a lot of cases where you wouldn't have to use your memory. But if you wanted to extract something from one world and move it to another, you'd have to do this transcription process, which is extremely labor intensive. And that's obviously a job. Right. Right. And it's slow. So it has that cost of time. So maybe you would be willing to pay someone else to do it for you. Um or maybe you would, you know, accept that you had to sort of spend this time um, doing this boring thing. Uh, but yeah, that that's right. And I, I think that's good enough to prevent people from, you know, inventing supercomputers by linking up tons of worlds. But it still, still does allow knowledge to spread throughout the constellation. But yeah, I think, you know, one of the ways that the architecture that we've given it militates is because it is hard for information to move between worlds, but very easy for it to move inside a world. I think it does, you know, militate toward people spending a bit more time um, in one world than you might initially think when you kind of first imagine this structure. Yeah. And I still think that's like the overall, like probably trend of time in the constellation is like, it goes from fragmented across uh, many, many worlds to, like, eventually consolidating around, you know, most of the traffic is in a few worlds. Right, right. and most lot- people are sort of serially living in one world at a time for a while rather than, you know, um, hopping all around all the time. Um, I would think. But, uh, you know, with some with some hopping maybe to happen for infrastructure reasons. So are, are there other knowledge jobs that you were thinking of besides teachers? Oh, I mean, there, there, there certainly are. Um, but I mean, I, I think you know, teaching it, the generalized thing of like, you know, passing on information. I mean, a transcriber, I think, is kind of distinct from teacher, right? And researcher is like right, kind right. of distinct but related, right? Like, so I right, do think, sure. like, cause a teacher yeah, transcriber is definitely, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. implies you know that you're good at uh, you know conveying. The, the knowledge after you've gotten it like to other people, right? To pupils. So right. uh, you, you've got teacher, but then you've got, yeah, researcher, you've got transcriber. So like, let's say you're head of a university, right? Right. Um, or, or any world that like wants to gather specialized knowledge, right? You're going to be sending, paying to send people out probably to both like research and transcribe and gather and memorize knowledge from other worlds, right? Um. And then once you've collected it, you know, if you are running a university, then you might have even another group of people that are like paid to like teach that to other people. Right. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, there's probably other stuff, too. But I think that's like a lot of things fall into those categories. Right. Right. Well, another thing that I was thinking of that I think does fall into this category, and, and this is a little bit in that category and a little bit in another one, but... Um, there's also all of the kit bashing that's happening, right? So there's mm-hmm. so many things that you can make costlessly, but in order to customize them and get them the way you really want, you uh, potentially need to know some pretty specific instructions. So how do, you know, I was thinking about how do designs for things travel? Um, you know, this is another type of knowledge that is 
within the world, it's costless. Like if you see a chair that your friend has and you want one, you just say like, you know, make that chair that John has. Um, and that will, will work. Uh, but if you want to know what people are doing, you know, 10 worlds away, um, then that's not as easy for you to access. Um, and I was thinking a, a kit bash designer could be a kind of job. Uh, this is somebody who kit bashes all the time until they find something that they think is unique. And then they offer people to basically provide a careful description of it for money. Right. So. If, yeah. What's the right term for this? Right. I mean, this is someone who it's a kind you know, of programming type job, I guess. Yeah. It's software kind of, it's like, it's like you figure out, you know, like, like, I don't know, let's just get a, use a concrete example, right? Sure. Um, you know, we've talked about how, let's say, if you want to, let's say you're making an art world, right? But And yeah. it's a solo experience art world, right? But you don't want to have only one person experiencing at a time. Like, you want people who teleport into your world to, like, naturally be, like, moved into a new, you know, sort of isolated bubble, <laughs> right where they have that a new instance of your experience right is, is this making sense right right, like right. We so you to... want the way your world to work that it's almost like a tunnel and like a, every person always starts a bunch at the of beginning parallel of the tunnel. tunnels right yeah right and you're a just doing parallel a new tunnels. instance of the tunnel each time somebody enters the world but they never so how do you meet. get right that's right so that's a common thing you would want is okay. like i want to have a solo experience that many yeah. people can have at the same time without uh interfering with each other right and it scales as needed. Okay, well, how do you get the exec to do that, right? I mean, that's not going to be a single command, right? Like, I mean, even us just trying to explain that just now on the podcast was a little bit challenging. Right, right? We started right. using this metaphor of tunnels, which isn't even probably... And, and we know that the exec is very literal. It's, it, it needs, like, very explicit commands. But that but that's such a commonly needed function, I think. So... right. Right. That's something someone could innovate. Um, they figure out how, like, here's the series of commands that gets the exec to do this, like, dynamic, you know, uh, tunnel building system. I, I need a better term, but right. Uh, and and yeah, once you once you figured that out, you could market that and advertise that. Um, and then when people ask you, you could show up in their world and train them on it. Um, and with, exactly. with the understanding that, okay, if you train one world on it, it could then leak out of that world to other worlds, but, uh, that's going to be slow and, and you're the inventor. So people may still want to hire you to teach them. Right. So, and if it's complicated to explain, somebody may not want to waste their time trying to explain it to someone else, even if they have learned it from you. Right. So maybe they're like, well, why don't you just pay, you know, this is the guy who taught me. Why don't you just pay him? I'm busy running my tunnel world here for here. So, I mean, yeah, I could think that designs parallel, would... parallel experiencing or something. I'm trying to think of a better way to say this than tunneling, but I don't know. I mean, yeah. I, I like tunnel because it implies that they don't meet, you know, um, like the world is, you know, whatever the world looks parallel like tubes is this like a series of parallel tubes. Exactly. Um, I mean, in, in internet, they call them hoses, right? Another, okay sure just yeah. another stupid metaphor i mean what what can we do we can't get rid of our bodies so um yeah. you know uh yeah i think that that could be a cool d job um is like basically programming or designing elements of worlds uh it could be something big like the structure of the world like the tubes or it could be something small like you know this particular design of chair or something but 
what you're selling is basically a detailed description of how you got the exec to do it, which is a kind of computer programming, but, um, you know, it's done with regular speech or, you know, some other similar, uh, communication medium. That's such a big job category. Like, you know, being, you know, knowing what to say to the exec, um, as, as we sort of set up front, right. And innovating these new things. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. That, Again, like you mentioned already, there would be subfields. So I don't, maybe, maybe that's something we should sort of start to give some shape to, right? Because there's. Sure. What can you think of that would be a subfield? So, like, the kind of thing we were just talking about is like a, like a tool or like, like it's a tool designer or an infrastructure designer, right? Like it's, um, right, right. Like these sort of basic world parameters are, you know, things like, is it a round world or is it a series of tubes or whatever? Yeah. Right. But there might also be people for whom, you know, you, well, actually maybe it is the same people. I, I guess I'm just thinking of a different situation where you, you know, the thing that you want to have happen, right? Like I've got this idea. for Right. This, right. Like, no, that like, is different. You're talking about bespoke like design in this case. Uh, yeah, right? exactly. I want there to be parallel tubes. I know that, or I, maybe I want something crazier, right? Like, right. um, and more specific. Um, how do I, I don't know. I don't know how to specify that I've tried and I can't get the exec to do it. So I need like an expert <laughs> to come in and build it for me. Right. Right. You almost need like a programming consultant or something that is somebody who will work with you and help you figure out you know, the thing you're trying to get done. So you're paying them to like take on your priorities, which is like a common, common thing that knowledge workers are being paid to do. Right. Um, so if you're a programmer or a writer or something now, this is what you're paid to do. Someone says, I want to create a program that, you know, you can type words and they show up on the screen and then you take those priorities on, you figure out how to do it. So, uh, yeah, I think that makes sense. It's, you pay people to care about what you care about while they, you know, help you solve the problems that you're trying to solve. Yeah, maybe the, I'm trying again. I'm trying to think of a framework for like the different subfields here because I mean that strikes me as like engineering. Maybe maybe that's the word that I want to use for that. Like rather right, than designing. R- right, like, right. It's almost like you have the designer and the engineer. The engineer knows the exec really well. The designer has concepts and they work together to create a world. Yeah, I think, yeah. Uh, although I think they can be the same person too, oh, sure, right? Sure, of course. Like, just like a, yeah. Just like yeah. Kid. I guess I'm thinking maybe the subfields are more like at a mat, at a, maybe a sort of a level of Zoom, right? That maybe this is how people would organize. Because I'm, you know, there's also a quality of this that is like general software design, like we're saying, but it's also like lawyering, right? It's also like understanding right. contracts and stuff. So maybe it's like, like, let's say I'm building a well, world, Well, guest right? relations like, almost feels like its own field, subfield of this exec work, right? Which is like creating the contracts, the entrance contracts and all of that. Like that almost feels like its own subfield oh, to me. Yeah. Yeah. Let, so yeah, let's put it, let's, let's flag that one. Yeah. But like, let's say we're building a giant, like we've got a lot of money and resources in the constellation and we want to build like a giant, like, you know, do, like popular world, right? With okay. a lot of moving parts and we, we're going to need a, you know, a bunch of people on our team, right? Right. So we're going to need like really hyper specific 
designers that like, you know, craft, you know, you know, the actual objects, right? Like these are the, like more like the sort of artist or sculptor level, right? Sure. Like, so you're going to need, and cause like, that's not as technical probably. That might be a lot of like, you know, telling, like if you're telling the exact like to design an animal or like uh like a pretty gemstone or something, right. You're just going to be like, Oh, make it more red. Oh, like uh, add, you know, more shine. Right. Like, you know, it's going to be just like, it's going to be like a conversational interface, but it's going to be a lot like what sort of like a, like an artist does today. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So there's like, there's definitely specialists in, in, in that regard who like have like really good taste and also like a lot of experience getting the, the exec to make like very mine, minute changes to like right. single objects. Right. Um, But then like, yeah. And then you have like a level up from that. That's like architecture of bigger spaces. Right. And then, and then ab- above that, you have maybe like sort of like, like the larger archist- operational architecture of like the tubes, right? Right, <laughs> like right. Like how does about. the world work? Like what's going on behind the scenes? Yeah. Um, like, you know, what we would call back end on like a, a web application these days or something. Like whatever, yeah. you know, like whatever the customer doesn't see, but maybe the admin sees in some way that like makes the thing work. And then at a, yeah, an even higher level, yeah, you have maybe like you said the guest relations stuff that's like, right. how is the entrance contract specified? If there's a lobby, how is that run? What kinds of contracts and accounts are maintained? Um, yeah, who's let in? All of that stuff. All of the kind of how do you kick people out? The moderation. Right. Well, there's also like, moder- right. Like, be, like moderation and enforcement, right? Um, which is still probably all under, so that's like, I don't know, that feels pretty good. That was like four things, I think, right? Like, uh, objects, architecture, Uh, behind the scenes infrastructure. Or whatever you want to call that. Like, uh, back end. So there's like, there's like, there's content, front end, back end, and then there's, you know, users essentially. I mean, if you want to use like a sort of modern web metaphor, right? There's like, you know, the content, like the actual like desk on the, or the, you know, on the floor and like the material it's made out of and the lighting and, you know, the people who are basically doing like what set dressers do on a film set or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then there's uh, the levels up and it just levels up from, from each of those uh, all the way up to, yeah, like basically more like a lawyer type job of like writing the contracts, figuring out the policies um, to kick people out and to moderate and to do all of that. And then, of course, moderation itself, as we talked about in previous uh, thing, w- it would also be a potential job, depending on um, how complicated the moderation is and how large the world is. It may not be something the admin can do themselves or can program a simple AI to do. So they may want human beings with discretion being, you know, cops on the beat. Right. As you, you know? Well, now, okay, so now we're starting to move into something else. By the way, I yep. think we've totally kind of abandoned our initial plan here of, like, using our scarcities outline. Well, I don't know. I, let, yeah, I think we the the outline is out the window, which is totally fine with me. Um, I, I use some of the other scarcities to generate some of the other job ideas, which I do want to get to those other job ideas, but I don't care. Okay, what. yeah, so bring bring those up as, as they seem appropriate. Sure. Um, yeah. But just to sort of like summarize where we're at, mm-hmm. we've been, we 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 were just talking about you know designers and engineer type people, and the sort of like four types of things they might be asked to build, right? Right. And then now when you're actually talking about moderators, 
that's not a designer engineer. That's just like a, you know, a mind that you hire like to work in guest services after someone has already built it for you. Right, right. It's a to scale go around, thing. Right, yeah. right, right. And it's about discretion. The the human quality that you are purchasing from them that would be hard to program is discretion, right? It's like these are the rules, but I want you to apply them with discretion <laughs> so that they are not too rigid, right? Um, otherwise, you could just have them be automatically enforced, right? I mean, if you just want rigid enforcement, that's fairly easy to do, I think, without a job. And um, I think maybe you need that discretion at the other three layers too, right? Because, for example, actors in a world are a kind of, maybe that's like content, right? Right. Well, yeah. I mean, the 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 scarcity that I was thinking of when I thought of actors was uh, novel real-time experiences, right? So one of the things that people will still want in this world is, um, and we've talked about this at, at great length with the club because it's obsessed with novelty, is to do things that are that happen in real time and that are new. And among the many jobs you'll need for that is is actors. Um, because you're going to have to have people who are not the person experiencing it, um, you know, helping the experience be good. <laughs> right. And this arises in our world too, because you can't generate AIs that are very complicated right. to be actors. Right. So, right. Or, or you, you can actually, and that exists, but they're limiting. Um, right. Well, they'll be used the same way that they're used in like video games today. Like if you're, you know, if you go into the gun store, there might be an AI guy who sells you a gun before you go out and shoot each other. Right. But the really interesting, complex interactions are going to have to be uh, actors. Um, uh, or at least that's what we've been saying. Right. But I guess I'm thinking that like an actor exists in some ways in the same category as a moderator sure um because they're both working for the world admin to provide they didn't design something. it they just work in it right right like they didn't build the theme park they right. just like make it run day to day right right so i feel like there's all of those jobs at the different levels we were describing again like uh actor is sort of at the content layer right and but, then there's and, like a designer and, who might be designing the individual sections of the you know if the world sort of resembles a theme park he might be the you know person designing the rides kind of or something right right so the content layer someone designs the rides but then someone like populates them someone is actually the pirate who is chasing you down the plank you know or something yeah that's right um but even at the for the like the and maybe it is just three layers right because like content and front end are kind of similar right Mm -hmm. um and architecture and objects are kind of similar. They're just like different sizes, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's maybe three things. So it's like sort of the, the, the content, the front end, the, the actual building of objects, the actual playing of roles, right, mm-hmm. as an actor. Um, but then at the back end, right, again, you have to have the people that actually build the 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 parallel tubes and all of that type of infrastructure right. that How works behind the scenes. How does the infrastructure work with the exact, the hidden stuff? How does it all work, right? But I feel like there's also day-to-day operational people that might be op- working at that level too if the world is sufficiently complicated. Potentially, <laughs> that like, yep. That like, you know, maybe not all of it can be perfectly automated for the exec or there's moments where you need discretion. Um, right, or, or someone... it's something of an arms race where people keep breaking the game and they have to keep 
design, you know, fixing it. Um, kind of like, I think a lot of the online multiplayer games are sort of this way, right? Like somebody figures out either a flaw or a secret in the game and starts exploiting it. And then, you know, the server updates and the, all of a sudden that doesn't work anymore. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like patching things. Uh, yeah. I mean, a game is like, you know, people are trying to break games usually naturally, right? Cause they're trying to, uh, they know, always like push towards the objective, <laughs> right? you know, so that, that is the situation where you have to patch things often. Right. Um, and there'd be other situations like that. So yeah, I think there might be people and just, there might be people that are working behind the scenes to make sure people have a good experience, but are not visible. Right. If it's the kind of world that could afford to do that, um, mm-hmm. I mean, you could even imagine like for, in more of like this art world context, right? Um, the actual artists sort of like standing behind the scenes when people like and you know sort of game mastering it as it oh, happens, yeah. right? Sure. Um, so, but that feels like a level up from actor, right? right. Well, they like could have a little like, control room, sort of like uh, in the Truman Show you know, where they're sort of like, they can monitor any part of the world that they want to and, you know, deploy any number of um, options uh, at any time. I mean, that'd just be one way to set it up. Or they could be Feels like, like these you know, dressed as a beggar getting... wandering around or, you know, whatever. They could do whatever they want. Yeah, well, like, so dressing as a beggar and wandering around, then you're like, that's like the acting thing. But if you're like in the control room and you're like, oh, it looks like this group of people are getting bored here. Let's hit the unexpected, you know, <laughs> consequence that I have planned here right? Uh, to show up, you know, and make their, their experience more interesting, right? Like, you know, some amount of hands-on work. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I guess like in a theme park, you know, maybe that's people that fix the rides or like, I don't know. Yeah. The uh... fix problems that come up. You have the attendants and then you have the Imagineers who are designing the rides. And, you know, one thing that would be cool about this world is you could sort of make adjustments on the fly. Yeah. So, uh, the, you know, you could imagine the, uh, the engineers being, you know, added all the time. Um, another, but then, oh yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. Oh, but then at that sort of like user guest services level, that's again, I do think where you have the moderators and like the people that actually work the lobby desk and stuff. Sure. So I, I, yeah, I think there's like these three layers both have work that is done to set things up before, uh, people show up in a world. Yeah. And then like the builders and then, and then there's the people that are on site, like the operations people. Right. They make it run. Well, and then I was thinking another job that generates itself, um, if people are interested in novel real-time experiences and if there are many of them available, uh, and if attention is scarce and they can only go to one at a time is a reviewer of novel real-time experiences. Mm-hmm. And so that starts to become a kind of valuable thing. And so, uh, you know, because knowledge is uh, limited to one world, you might have a world, a publication world or a review world or, um, you know, a world where people go to uh, read where these people put their reviews and their reviews might, you know, give you the sense of where you'd like to go next and what you'd like to try. Um, I also was thinking about like more novel real-time experiences that are smaller than the scale of a world. Because again, I think a lot of people will just choose a world to live in that has their friends in it Mm -hmm. or their family or something. Um, But then that world, um, 
even though you don't have to eat to stay alive and even though, you know, you don't need to get a haircut, you can just tell the exact what you want your hair to look like and stuff like that. I, I was thinking that personal service might still exist on world, um, as like an art. Well, you still might want thing. a stand up comedian to come to your birthday party. Exactly. Uh, that's a good example. I mean, I think you might even want a sushi chef to come to your birthday party and make everybody sushi just because it's fun to eat sushi, not because you need to eat it to live, right? Uh, and because it is hard to make right. So the fact that somebody has taken the time to learn how to do that is in itself impressive. Um, well, that's interesting, right? Because you could you could have the exec load from the pre-transition scans like fully made good sushi probably you could but sushi is one of those things that the making of it and it being done in front of you yeah yeah is a critical element so i specifically chose sushi rather than just like having a pizza party or something because right you would just conjure the pizza right it's just i just want to draw out that not special enough but like since sushi the value of it is in its originalness it's in the art you know like each piece is sort of made for you that I think is why you might potentially want that, not just to well, you could, eat the flavor of sushi, which you could do without without that. Well, you could innovate on a food too. I'm realizing, right? Because yeah. like, like if so, at the moment of transition, right when they scan everything, certainly someone somewhere in the world is eating sushi, right? And, of course, and and you can so then that is in the database and that can be loaded up. Sure. Um. Is that the best sushi possible, especially when you've got such flexible rules in the constellation? Probably not. Right. 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 So you could all somewhere in the world at the time of scan, there was also a fish. Right. So you could like, you know, you could load up that and somewhere there were knives and somewhere there were like other things that, you know, used to make sushi. So like you could imagine... Right. And then you've got all these And then you additional... can make any any kind of adjustments you want too. Weird you could tweaks, yeah. Take the mercury out of the fish before you cut it up or something. You know, you can probably like really adjust this stuff in a fine level. So a chef, right? But yeah. it, I mean a chef would be such a different thing, right? Because you'd be like mining the database and like we keep saying kit bashing things and And using whatever knowledge you have of like chemistry and, you know, how flavor science works and everything to make everything, you know, maximally delicious. I mean, that's what I, that's what I think is cool about this is the idea that like personal services that we currently have because they're like necessities in our life and, and, you know, we try to turn them into something entertaining or whatever, um, might, they might survive without the necessity just due to the entertainment value of them because, there is a lot of innovation and artistry and uh, personal personalization that you can put into this stuff, right? Because that's the other thing is, you know, I want sushi, but I don't have a taste for wasabi. Well, I'm going to design you, right. a, you know, authentic sushi meal that doesn't use any wasabi or whatever. You know, like, I mean, there's, yeah, I think there's no limit to how personalized things can get and how, um, like, original you can get with trying to, like, purify things or make them into um or hybridize them or you know make them novel in some way and with the sushi example there's 
there's, I think, again, there's room for both design engineering and performance, yep. right? Yep. And those could be the same job or separate job, right. right? Like you could have a food scientist type person who does all of the background work of right. like kit bashing from right. the, the pre-transition scans to create like the best sushi ingredients. And then you could have a performer who's just somebody who is a, a sushi chef in their like, you know, original life. Right. It's just uh, good at tossing just, knives or something. Yeah. Yeah. That just like actually like mimes the, the, the part of it using, using the ingredients that you concocted from the exec. Um, right. Well, and, and he and, can and, say, and, I only use, yeah. you know, Satoshi designed fish because he designs the most pure and delicious tasting fish, you know, or something like, but, but that's a different person, you know, who designs those fish and I get my fish designs from him or something. That's right. Yeah. And like, uh, yeah, that's you cool. know, I mean, they, they don't even literally have to be like fish, right? Like the fish could be, no. I mean, or, or they could be like weird mutant fish, right? That are like, that look strange, right? I mean, there's so many like, they could look strange. They could taste weird. Yeah. I mean, you could have a yeah. fish that tastes like a peanut butter sandwich, you know? I mean, like this is a completely variable world where the regular limits of physics don't matter when you can just assign things to things. So as long as you have the time and the energy, you can create, you know, basically any combination of flavor sensations that humans can uh, can detect. And, you know, you could design all new tastes probably that are just, you know, differently modulated flavor sensations. Right. Um, and I mean, uh, yeah, I, I, and that's just for tasting things. I think that applies to all the senses um, equally. So, you know, paintings and music and things like that, um, sculpture, etc. But also to, as we've talked about, to even larger things like whole worlds can be sort of, you know, our artistic experiences in this way. Um, so, so I think I think that generates a lot of potential work. I think I, I'm. I keep trying to sort of organize this into my a framework in my head, right? Okay. Uh, like, <laughs> How's that going? <laughs> well, we're, we're we're obviously we're improvising today. We had a plan that we're sort of deviating from. So it seems like the three biggest categories that we've okay. talked about, right, at the macro macro level, right? Okay. Like we did talk a little bit about attention in the beginning. I think that's just a big category unto itself. But like, and advertising is a big part of that. Um. Then we had. Then we talked a lot about knowledge, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, teachers, research, advice, all of those things, right? right. Universities. Um, and then now we've mostly been talking about this idea of like novel real-time experiences, right? Right. Um, and that includes like the theme park world example that's where we spun off, you know, six different kinds of jobs at least. Uh, and, and also this this idea of the, the, the sushi chef and all of that stuff too. Right. So the, those three seem like the three like biggest categories where we're finding a lot of work um, so far. Yeah. Right. I think those are the biggest categories where there'll be a lot of work. Um, I mean, there are some other scarcities that are going to inform all of this. Um, like obviously status, which we've been talking about since we started the show. Um, is going to inform everything. And um, I could, I think there's ways in which a lot of what people will be doing, whether it's work or not, will be related to obtaining status. And very closely related to that is belonging, uh, which we did a whole, you know, couple of episodes talking about clubs and religions, and they're really uh, all completely focused on providing belonging. I think every world in a way provides a certain kind of belonging for the people who choose to be in it. 
Um, and so I think those things are going to get, um, there's going to continue to be scarcities, but I don't see them being particular jobs in the same way. I see them as being like uh, affecting all, all the jobs. Well, they're, they're kind of like added value to things, right? Like, I mean, there's some, there's another reason to do some of the jobs we've already talked about, but I don't think that they create separate job categories in themselves. Well, like, I mean, here's the thing that's maybe, like, most important for us to actually, like, write our story, right? Because oh, I, I guess, think you know what? Hang on. I want to... Uh, okay, hang on. Go ahead. I want to hear what you think is most important in one second, but I want to correct myself first, which is I said that I don't think status creates any jobs, but I think, actually, status creates one really important job, which is superstar. And I'm just thinking of this now, but I think, like, in every in every other category of job... Mm-hmm. there's like one or two people who are just known to be the best and uh whether you know and their their highest their extremely high status um itself becomes a job they lend their status to anything that they do or deign to put their stamp on and so some of those people will sell that, you know, whether that's celebrity endorsement, whether that mm-hmm. is, um, you know, if you're a famous person going to a world will make that world more popular. If you're a famous person saying you like that world will make that world more popular. If you're, you know, uh, I feel like the one job that it creates is like spokesperson, but I think spokesperson in this world has collapsed instantly into superstar spokesperson and that like the people who sell status will have to be extremely high status in order for that to really work. Well, it does probably just thinking. uh, (laughs) Well, I guess I'm not sure what you mean by you mean spokesperson, like, like, like a celebrity endorsement of something. Oh, right, 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 right. Yeah. Being like, yeah. Which again, sort of plays into attention a little bit indirectly. Yeah. Uh, because that's uh, right. often that's tied into advertising. Right. But you I, have I get to, like you're... buy people's attention in order to tell them that this high status individual, you know, loves John world or whatever. And then that fact being known would increase interest in John world, I guess. Well, and there'd be, there would be jobs would spring up around celebrities too. Right. To the extent that that's, Sure, services for celebrities, things like that. Yeah. Or yeah, I mean just the way it is now like if you have somebody whose like brand is so powerful and so valuable, right? Um and their their time becomes valuable, so then they have to like start delegating to people around them. Sure. To do the things they don't have time for. Sure. And they might have um, specialists, you know, people who specialize in publicity or communications or something like that. Although I think a lot of those the day-to-day work of those people's jobs might not be that different from like actor or uh or coach yeah this you know? doesn't feel that changed from now to be honest right like this this part of it but it definitely exists it definitely persists right like, right right i'd say that this is something that we already have effects like this and if it, the only thing that changes is maybe the superstar effects we have now get more intense and there's even more of a sort of rising to the top of of that particular type of work um but that's the only thing I could think of that's sort of in those categories. And then, oh, I want to bring up one other thing that we talked about before, but I just want to quickly mention it. We don't have to do a lot on this, but we talked about people who would be doing 
jobs, uh, and they may not be these these may not be jobs people are doing for money. But one thing that people would still want and would still be scarce is goodwill. And so we talked about some jobs that would get you goodwill, stuff like child saver or you know religious missionary or uh, possibly anti missionary, somebody who goes to you know religious worlds and tries to free the people who are stuck there, or somebody who goes trying to find you know, lost children or people who never got contacted. Um, and that might be the kind of thing you do. Um, maybe you do it for money. Maybe they pay, maybe an organization pays you to do it, but either the organization itself or you have this goal of, of obtaining the goodwill of others, you know, being seen as a savior, being seen as a missionary, et cetera. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's an important one. Um, you know, people may be, may be paid to do that or may donate to those causes. Um, right. I did like think of maybe, one... Uh, you're good at child saving, like you're, you have psychological skills that make you good at child saving and convincing these uncontacted children to come back with you. Uh, and then you're paid by like a goodwill organization that then, you know, raises money throughout the constellation to, to pay people like you to go save the children or something. I did think of... Uh just drifting back to status for a second. Yeah, sure. Just um within worlds there's like a lot of possibility for just like like badge badges, right? I mean, sure. I don't I don't know if this is going to be a big thing or not, but I think like since every world is like this, you know, closed environment where the rules can be designed um you know, you could make it like, like like we talked about, there could be like VIP accounts and stuff. And some of that maybe is just like whether or not you have are allowed to have a certain kind of avatar or go to right, certain right, parts right. of the world. You could extremely gamify your world where, you know, maybe you don't even get extra permissions in the sense of like, you know, literal contract changes, but you just get stickers or avatar upgrades or something that are, you know, just built into the the sort of mechanics of the world. And that makes the most sense when you, if you have a lot of world consolidation with a very big popular world mm -hmm. and the network effects are keeping people there uh, and there's enough of a community there that wants to differentiate itself, right? Um, and people want to feel special. And then, and then, yeah, you could have some, some just like raw status goods that are just created out of thin air, right? I do think there's, there's probably some of that going on. Right. Um, you know, again, like the easiest example is like is is games these days, right? Where you can like buy an avatar upgrade or something. Um, oh yeah, well, and I definitely think um, like ga the gamification of worlds is a trend that we'll see in this because it's possible to build that stuff in at the base level, and because um, those mechanics will be compelling to people. So I think they'll, they'll win in the in the competition. That's right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so that is, a, that is that you're right. Status, the more we've talked about it is like kind of a, is, is definitely worthy of being like one of these top line categories. It's almost an er category that like affects everything, but yeah, it does have yeah. some, it has some of its own, it has its, some of its own sort of elements too. Yeah. I mean, none of these categories are perfect. And I think we'll, you and I will probably go back off air and like sort through this a little bit, but I think, I think, one of the where I was gonna go, uh, mm -hmm. uh, uh, rewinding back, I was about to say one of the most important things oh, yeah. for what us to figure that? out for our story, uh, which I think we can talk about now, is how many people work in this way for money 
or for some kind of compensation, you know, uh, the right to live in a particular world, for example, um, how, how much, because I think that we've just talked through like a lot of jobs, right? At the same time, we know that you don't need to work to eat. So, right, right. So there's not, like a huge yeah. exit button on all of this, right? I mean, we've just gone through all the reasons you might want to work, but if you and the people you care about just agree to not work, none of this is necessary, <laughs> right? You can all just make do with kit bash stuff, interact with each other, pay attention to each other, build things for each other, design things for each other, get free knowledge of which there will be plenty, even though there will be more knowledge that's not free. And uh, I suspect that a significant fraction of human beings um, takes that route. But we want to focus on, you know, the, the part of the world that strives. And some of that is going to be people who are striving on Earth are going to keep striving, right? Um, mm -hmm. And so if you come from a world of, of scarcity, you might just keep that mindset. Um, but... It also, it really comes down to character and whether you have a deep need for, I think, one of these four things that we've just mentioned, attention, experience, knowledge, or status, right? If you have a very deep, intense need for those things, for any one of those things, then very, pretty quickly, the free stuff is going to not be enough for you and you're going to want more. Um, and really of the four status is the most pernicious because you can never, you can never get enough of that. You know, it's like, it, that's only a positional, uh, competition. So you're always pretty much. Yeah. Playing. And when our main character wants literally all of those things, right? I mean, yeah. they need status they need, most they, of all, but all of them. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, uh, uh, I mean, status and attention are linked, right? I mean, under you the, get the status sort of basically by getting the attention. Yes, the concept of fame or success, I think, sort of encompasses both of those. Right. Um, the the knowledge, right? Like now, I think actually our main character we said is actually kind of a good engineer, right? We maybe we should figure out their specialty further, but like they are probably they're like a good content engineer, like at the lower level, right? Uh, like. Uh, they're maybe yeah. not. They're not really. Maybe it's so much of a back end engineer, or maybe they are. I don't know. We should, I don't know. We we'll, have to decide what how we want to split it up between them and the partner, right? Because I think like together they should make a pretty complete team, or at least that was the premise of their partnership. Right. Um, so yeah, maybe one of them is more of a designer, one more of an engineer, or maybe one of them is more about the macro and one's more about the micro. Yeah, or, I, I don't know. Whatever. You, whatever I'm kind you. of blurring design and engineer a little bit here. So I'm sort of using them interchangeably. I know there's a distinction there, but, um, sure. but yeah, the, uh, uh, you know, he's, he's got a talent as a maker, right? Yeah. So I think, so that's sort of his marketable skill. Uh, but he also wants knowledge that he doesn't have right like he wants these instruction sets that's a reason he might affiliate himself with the university world or maker world right to get access to their library yep. um among other things well, right? he and needs also... the knowledge in order to build the world that he thinks will get him the attention and status that he wants right and the knowledge of his peers right mm -hmm. um and maybe the status of being affiliated with the university and um you know uh the you know, to some extent, maybe the community and belonging of being, which we've only touched on a little bit of being in that environment. So 
that means our character probably has a has some kind of work he's doing um to get these things right like i mean how is he right or he's paying down some savings from some work he did in the past which you know we could do in a in a flashback but yeah i agree he's definitely got to have some source or maybe he's begging money from someone who does work <laughs> i kind of like that <laughs> you know family member or something maybe that yeah like is... does he have to literally pay tuition i don't know i i don't necessarily want to answer that now but um or does he have you know or is there uh, a fee on this maker world or is it more like of a collective where you have to you know do some labor for the collective rather than paying them or something does he have to be like a moderator one day a week right, right. which he hates doing and is not good at like uh yeah does he have some sort of day job right um, that could that could be good because it could uh threaten his ability to stay there right so if he sucks at being a moderator he gets like a talking to that you know he can't stay in the maker world if he doesn't clean up his act or something that could be good yeah so there's i mean this is starting again that we're really getting away from this sort of like uh, well, then the fourth thing, which I called experience a second ago, but now I want to rename novelty because I think that's the more critical aspect of it, um, is, of course, what the club is asking for of him. So that becomes part of his quest as well. Yeah, right. He's and well, he he cares about those things. That's also the reason he wants to get into the club. He right? values it and he's cr trying to create something novel himself. Right. So he values it on that level. But then he also is seeking a, a novelty in our story. So that's, um, I think that's good. We're, we're interfacing with all the things we think are going to be major. Elements. Yeah, our character is like right, you know, at the intersection of all these things. Now, when he goes to his family reunion, if we have that scene, mm -hmm. we're going to show some other characters, you know, maybe, oh, you know, again, I don't know what the percentages are, but maybe half those characters don't really work right in this way or maybe the presumption is that most of them don't i guess that's the question i have for our world is like we don't necessarily have to say like what percentage of people work versus what people percentage don't but like what's the presumption right for most people um and that'll obviously be a, like a useful scene for showing that right like maybe our character is a bit of an outlier <laughs> Or maybe he's not. I don't know. Right. Or maybe it's more of a subculture, right? Or like maybe there's a billion people in the constellation who work. But there's 25 billion people in the constellation because there's all 7 billion people, right, who are on Earth at this game. Yeah. And then it's been 100 years and some of them have been having children and none of them have died. So, uh, you know, maybe, you know, a, maybe it's a small percentage, enough of one that it's considered sort of a subculture but large enough that when you're in it it's all anybody cares about you know um so maybe that's part of the disconnect between him and some of his other family members is that they've been living in a religious world or uh just like a retro world or something and they don't see what the point of you know one of their viewpoints might be, why are you dragging the rat race from the old world into this new one? You know, like this was the worst part. What are you doing? <laughs> right. Uh, you don't need to do this anymore. All the reasons that we had to have it are gone. Abandon it. You know, why do you care? And, um, and the, this, our character maybe, uh, you know, he has this deep need. So, I mean, we can explore that psychologically maybe there's reasons why he can't let go of that stuff 
Yeah, um, I think that's going to be important. But the, and I think that having people represent the opposite point of view strong is going to just be so useful for our story and world building. So people right, get the right. Sense well, of it's like, something we yeah. didn't let go to that I think worked there, and we may as well try the trick again, which is like you know we're focusing our story on the person who's sort of most unhappy in this otherwise somewhat utopian world. And, uh, so we need to show that the other people are happy with it and don't understand what his problem is. Well, and even in let go, I don't know if we managed to hit that note strongly enough. Cause we definitely That's got true. some comments from some people that like missed, <clears throat> missed the fact that we had all these like background characters that were doing just fine. <laughs> Well, I think, they, yeah, there's a, there's a tendency to, uh, em, uh, you know, uh, to re- relate to, to empathize with the main character and to feel like, you know, oh, society must be wrong. So maybe actually we have to be careful about that. That's worth thinking about. I, yeah, I do think that's something I, I would like to, you know, be mindful of that I don't think we're a hundred percent successful and let go, which is we want to give the impression that this is like not a dystopian world, even if it's kind of is for our main character. <laughs> Well, right? like dystopia it, is just a corner of this world. This is such a big world. And you you can sort of like, like, I definitely think there are some people in this world who are like living in a, in what I would consider a dystopia, like a dogmatic Christian, like, uh, you know, uh, universe where, I don't know, I, I think there's probably some corners of this world that are quite dystopian. But there's some that are quite utopian. Absolutely. It seems like that's the more common thing, in fact. And uh, so, and you have to want to go to these places either because your ideology has convinced you it's the only thing that's correct or because um, you have a death wish or a, you know, a a masochistic streak or something like that. Um, So I think that, because I think the challenge for us as science fiction authors is that we don't want to, it's. I think it, for both of us, it's not interesting building worlds that are strictly dystopian or utopian or just morality plays, right? Um, that are like, like, you know, where as has been discussed, right? And you know, like so many sci-fi stories are like warnings of, don't do this, you know, or they're basically saying like this is where we should go, right? They're like aspirational, like right, right, right. Mm-hmm. Like, and we're much more interesting. Like, this is no, this is a nuanced world, like today, where good and bad happen but yet at the same time as storytellers we like need there to be constant conflict and drama and so it's like how do we have the constant conflict and drama that we want and while without like people ascribing that to our entire world right 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 well and we have to just be like aware of how people interpret narratives and yeah i think whenever you tell a story about somebody struggling against a system and this is sort of the mistake maybe we made before uh, people are going to assume the struggler is right and the system is wrong because that's the narrative pattern that we know. Um, so if we're going to try to push against that, we need to really show how. Um, but yeah, I think that's right. I think this uh, character allows us to sort of interact with these these key things and really explore on a psychological level why does somebody you know, go into a market economy when they don't have to, um, and, and subject themselves to the potential danger of, of, uh, that when they don't have to. Um, I think that that's uh, a compelling psychological question that we can, you know, spend some time exploring. It sounds like we should wrap up soon. Yeah. Uh, I think you got got anything else on your list? Well, I'm just not, I'm still, I guess, I guess I have a leaning now. 
but like we keep talking about, oh, we could their currency is possible, right? Because you could have a money world that tracks everybody's accounts that you teleport into. Um, right. I think you know, just it, it, immediately that becomes important in our story if our main character is working a day job, uh, in order to like exist in this university space. That could be a barter system, obviously, where he has to do X, Y, and Z to like maintain his status there. I get that. Right. Um, or is it literally? money points right is it literally credits i i i'm still sort of hung up on this question of like do we want to have this like, well and even inter- if there's money in the world it could still be a barter system for living in the maker space because they may not value you know they may not care about money they may not want the makers out uh earning money they may want them on the world doing things for the world you know that's that, true but this would be if we wanted to talk uh, about like the idea of currency this yeah, would probably yeah. be the most natural place for it to enter our story well so far. right and it could be a consequence of his partnership breaking up right like the partnership breaks up and therefore he doesn't have enough money to continue living there or to continue building his world there or whatever the you know the thing is um and then he has to, you know, beg money from somebody else or try to get an additional job or whatever. I think that's interesting. I mean, it here's what I'm thinking is that we're imagining quite a lot of potential jobs, uh, actually. And mm-hmm. that makes me think, like, the more jobs there are, the more I think that people will not find useful barters and will want a medium of exchange of some kind, which starts to militate toward there is a money world for me. What are you thinking? Yeah, I guess that's where I'm leaning to. I think the challenge for any money world is how does it get people to adopt it since we don't have traditional nations that can impose a currency monopoly on people via taxation and all of that. Um, So it's just like, you know, this is, you know, it's a lot closer to Bitcoin. It's like it's right. this much more distributed thing. And, you know, Bitcoin has just turned into this like speculation investment commodity. Mostly, it seems like. Right. So well, it like- interestingly can't be uh, distributed in quite the same way that Bitcoin is <laughs> because of the no interworld communication thing. So all and that's actually maybe a strike against it even. Yeah. Of any, you know, um constellation coin that anybody would create would necessarily be within that world. Now, you could, I mean, worlds can be pretty big and so you could let anybody who wants to enter the world, you know, enter one and set up a mining system or something and maybe you even could let them set it up with AIs so that Right, right. But I you yeah, know, I don't I mean, I was only using I I, but, I was Using Bitcoin in a very oblique way. Like no, I'm not no, no. To, like, I mean, I think, yeah. look, Bitcoin is the best example of of a, a bootstrapped virtual currency, right? So it's the good it's the good thing to, to look at. But one of the main ways that Bitcoin created trust uh, wouldn't be available to a money world because there would have to be a, an admin of that money world that could screw with everybody's money supply if they wanted it can't- to. It cannot claim to be decentralized. It has to be centralized. Yeah, right. that's that. Now that's the so... admin could give up some rights, right? So it's possible that the money world is one of these worlds that no one can delete because, like, the person who created it has, um, has destroyed the key that would delete it and ha- and not given it. To yeah, anyone. we talked about that. Yeah, to build trust, right? Yeah, so that's that one way be... they could build trust in the money world is say like this world will be, and then maybe they could 
further give some admin rights to a, a you know a council of people or whatever but um but there would yeah, always there, be there, yeah. some possibility that whoever had the admin rights could get together and screw everybody so that would be you know there would that would have to be dealt with in some way i and yeah and and so given that additional challenge that bitcoin doesn't even have yeah um well just there's their solution for it wouldn't work you'd have to come up with some other solution other than yeah, the right I, I guess yeah what i'm trying to say is like there's not a lot of precedent in the world uh, uh for a currency getting widely adopted just because people need a medium of exchange and no other reason, right? Like there's usually some kind of state power that institutes a currency, which means, which, you know, state power is more like world power in our constellation. So like, it's very easy to imagine that the university world that our main character subscribes to makes its own coin. Right, right, right. Any world could easily have its own internal coin. Yeah. Has its own internal credit system yeah. that like says whether you're not in good standing with the university or not. Right. Um, but exchanges I, so, seem very hard to do because you can't do direct information transfer. So oh, like a currency, yeah, like currency exchanges. exchanges. So let's yeah. say you know, there's let's just imagine two worlds, you know, a, a city world and a, a farm world, and they both have coins internal to them. But farm get you know getting farm coin for city coin seems next to impossible uh because That's right. how would you get the city coin out um and then how would you get the farm coin in <laughs> they would have to almost the two worlds would almost have to have like a bilateral agreement where the admins somehow agreed to like take people's word for it or something uh and, and some exchange rate it just seems very unlikely to happen not impossible but money mon money world though like would settle this problem right, right. By, by all the money being always on money world or even just it could act as the as the uh go between right you get farm coin um farm coin is worth something to people because enough people like want it in 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 farm world right so you can you can sell farm coin to get you know universal money world coin <laughs> this is so hard to talk about and then use that money universal money world coin to then go and buy university coin or whatever right but how do you so, get the money world money into farm world in order to sell it for farm coin isn't the information transfer the, the same way you always do the, the, the accounts are just kept on money world right so like i go to a farmer and so I you're say, saying I that money world contains not just money coin but other coins at money world no no, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying I I, I have, um, let's say I'm a farmer, right? Okay. And I've got some farm coin, but I've had it with farm world. I mean, farm world is boring. Mm -hmm. uh, like I've done this for So for you farmed years. like for a whole year, you sold your crop or whatever, and now you have your money. But your I want to cash out, right? Because I'm not going to stay right. here. So I'm going to find some newbie farmer who just showed up and is excited to be there uh, and say like, okay, you can have all my farm coin. I see. It's limited uh, and to the local market. So then if he has some Money World coin on Money World, he can transfer that to you. Is that that's right. He can I he see. can give me that Money World, and then I can go take that and buy into a different ecosystem with it. Right. But that requires um, there to be a buyer for your coins on Farm World, because the Farm Coins themselves can never leave Farm World. That's true, but you might start having people yeah, you'd have who are only services. on farm yeah. world to like speculate and buy and sell farm coin, right? right? They're not even there to farm. 
Right. Well, that's right? how like airport currency exchanges work or something like that. Right. They're like, you know, there's, you have somebody there who has money on money world and just sits there, um, taking in farm coin and then arbitraging it against money world money. Yeah. As people come the, in and the, out. So all this is possible, but again, the key mm-hmm. element is that there's enough buy-in to this central money world. Uh, and yeah, so again, there's not a lot of precedent for that. So I, well, I don't know The money world a- would be incentivized to actually send those exchange people out, right? So we might have just created another job. <laughs> Like, well, that's right. I think, I think money world would have a lot of like money world would say like, we'll pay you money world dollars, um, for every minute that you spend being an exchange person in, you know, in one of these worlds. And then people would go and do that. And, uh, that's how they would get some money world dollars that they could then use to do something else. That's right. I think that was so... Yes, that's like one of the services that they could use to extend their their reach. Mm-hmm. And I think now initially to get people to use Money World, one of the th- options that they have, um, which Bitcoin didn't use, right, mm-hmm. um, is just give people money to join, right? You sign right, up for a Money World right. account, and we immediately put a hundred coins in it, right? Um, no, I mean, so maybe fact, that's Bitcoin a... sort of took the opposite approach, which is that it went way out of its way to try to prove to people that it wouldn't, um, inflate. Right. Uh, and then, so it kind of, it, 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 it took the approach of trying to create a speculation currency first, um, as opposed to the, the strategy you're taking, which would perhaps make people worried that. Uh, it was going to inflate quickly because they're giving away all this free money. Uh, well, perhaps, but if it's like a hundred times the population of the constellation and you just figure like, well, even if everybody opened an account with us, like that's an amount of money that's relatively stable. It's like, it's a one-time thing, right? You get the money for joining. That's it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe there's like a, you know, a couple percent, you know, interest or something or there's other ways that they add money into the system slowly over time you know whatever that perfect growth rate is right um or maybe this this itself acts as that right like more people join the monetary system and they get their like first one-time payment i think you could make this non-inflationary i guess is what i'm saying mm-hmm. um so maybe i mean that's one well, way it's I also could potentially good to make things inflationary if people are adopting it because then they'll think, Oh, I better spend it now while it still has its value. Um, but it, it, it can be a problem if you're trying to get people to adopt it because they might think oh, it's not worth getting involved in all this. It's just going to inflate the value away. Um, right. But actually, if you look at the, um, the growth of it, I think like the money supply as a percentage would grow the most quickly in the beginning anyways. Right. Sure. So it would inflate at exactly the moment you said it would be useful and it would sort of start to slow down. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, I think that's the way you'd try to design it and then you would see how good your governance was and if that worked, then yeah, then that would probably be a pretty good stable currency. Um, I think there'd be a lot of, yeah, I mean, the more we talk about this, the more I think there's a lot of reasons to make this work. I think people would figure it out. 
Okay, so like, let's tentatively say we're gonna have that. I mean, it's certainly fun. I enjoy talking about this stuff. It's certainly like we're gonna need to I come mean, up with a bunch of words and stuff for the different coins because it does get confusing talking about right now. But it, yeah, I mean, every yeah, <laughs> if we got to make it all much clearer than we've been making it like for our eventual readers well of and i also think it depends how long it's been but if it's been a hundred years it's possible that you know all of the local world coins have or many of them you know are now in like a kind of network you know where they're like we're gonna pin our world coin to the money world coin value and we're gonna make it really easy to do the exchange and you know we're going to basically plug our world economy into the constellation economy. Through. Yeah. And maybe even those like local coins are being phased out. Yeah. Right? They might be completely phased out or they only exist as like a local avatar of, of the thing that's actually on the other world, you know? Right. Because you can't literally change the money from world to world, but you don't need to. Um, you can just do some kind of uh, account check to the other world and that, happens very quickly and then once that happens you get your product and the money is transferred elsewhere all right well i don't why don't we end there because yeah. that's a lot to think about um we went to work yes uh so thanks for listening and uh we will see you uh next time next time thank you this has been constellation making the graphic novel our theme song is Pomona by Audios. To subscribe to this podcast, look us up on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher application. You can find us on Twitter or on the web at constellationpodcast.com. Thanks for listening.